morning, good evening, everyone, and uh, welcome to our latest uh, iteration of the Indic Book Club's Writers Open House with Otis. And we have been doing this for about, uh, I think, uh, six months or more than six months now. And <clears throat> you all know the drill by now. Uh, send in your writing sample, 800 words <laughs> uh, or so, uh, PDF, Times New Roman, font size 12, double spaced to Otis. Uh, at least a few days in advance, and he will take a look at it, uh, mark up his feedback, send it back, send the PDF, the marked up uh, PDF back to you. And when we meet on Sunday, we will, uh, Otis goes through the samples and he shares his uh, feedback in general and specific, and you can ask him questions. And uh, that's the whole purpose. Now, a couple of things before we begin, and I hand this over to Otis. Now, uh, on, on two separate uh, parts. The first one is on, uh, you know, writing samples and the second one is on reviews. So with uh, writing samples, uh, I see that, uh, uh, you know, there is, so, you know, Otis, the feedback that you provide covers a whole variety of topics and subjects. But one of the things that I keep uh, seeing as a recurring theme is a point of view. And I can tell you from my experience, you know, point of view can get terribly, you know, difficult to get right. And I am probably a few decades away from getting it perfect every single time. But nonetheless, one of the ways to improve is to, uh, you know, once you send in a sample, you get the feedback, you use the session to ask questions. If you're not clear about something, you can even point out uh, specific lines and paragraphs and say that, you know, why do you think Otis, the point of view is not right here or all those things. And then, see if you want to rewrite that, the keeping that feedback in mind and send the revised piece back because I don't usually see that happen, which leads me to believe uh, you know, or question how much of that feedback is actually being put uh, to, you know, to use. Uh, I'm sure some of you, most of you are, but the you know, one very, uh, uh, very obvious way of finding out whether you have uh, made use of it and whether you are on the right track is to take that uh, feedback, rewrite your sample where you think uh, it needs correction, send it back. And if uh, Otis says that, uh, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is great. Uh, and, you know, I, I see a lot of the issues with the first earlier submission addressed, then you know you're, you're on the right track. So that's one sure way of getting feedback, right? So that's uh, the first thing. And on the second one is on reviews. And I know Writing reviews can be difficult. It can be time consuming. In some cases, it can take a take up almost as much time or a significant percentage of time to write a good review as it does to sometimes even read the book. And that can seem like a terrible waste of time, but it's your choice. If you want to write reviews, then you should write good reviews. You don't want to be you know, the one looking back 10 years from now at your review and say, who wrote this? I wish I could take this down from the net. So we'll, and I, I, I know, and I speak from experience, I can, I see some of my earliest reviews on Amazon and I want to take them down, but I don't because I say, let that be as a hall of shame reminder that, uh, you know, how bad I was, hopefully I have improved, <laughs> but that's not the point. I mean, if, if you are in, in the habit, hobby, passion, business of writing reviews, then again, uh, realize, understand, accept that it takes time. It takes practice and it doesn't come, you know, just because you've read a book, you're a good reader doesn't mean you'll be a good reviewer. So uh, anything doing is worth doing well. 
And on that piece of sagely worldly advice, Otis, I will turn it over to you. Okay, thank, thank you, Avanel. Um, I mean, the thing with writing is I, I've been, you know, I, I wrote my first short story when I was in high school, you know, I didn't, I didn't know that a person could write a short story. I thought that they were things that were written by other people. And then I suddenly had an assignment where I had a teacher, thank God, who said, okay, I would like you to write a short story. And I'm like, huh? What do you mean? That's, what are you talking about? But writing, writing and anything that's, you know, all the things that we do, they're life's work. So I, I you know, we have to, we have to be easy about it. Um, <clears throat> I'm hoping that I'm writing better now than I was writing when I was 30. Um, I don't know, <laughs> maybe, maybe not, but I think I am. I know that it's, uh, I feel like I'm still, you know, ascending. So that's, that's always going to be the state for us, I hope. Um, <clears throat> Otis, you like this. Ram says you look 25 and I agree. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's from being delusional about ascending continually. So <laughs> that's where it comes from. <laughs> Uh, um, one question, sorry, uh, Otis, one question that I have for all the participants is that uh, if you have submitted a piece uh, more than a week back, and if it has not yet been reviewed, or if you have not heard back from Otis, please do let him know, because sometimes, uh, you know, emails can, can, can get, uh, you know, buried in uh, the backlog or, uh, or for whatever reason. So please. Right. Uh, yes, I, uh, Abhinav and I were just talking about that. I, it is my intention, and I, I basically always believe that I'm keeping up with all of the work that I'm getting. So if you've submitted something to me and I have not gotten back to you, it's not because I don't want to talk about your work. That's not the case. Um, it may have been lost in my email, uh, something like that. I was joking with Abhinav that I've sometimes taught workshops you know, and I'll have someone in the workshop say at the end of the workshop, you've never talked to me about any of my work. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, don't you like it? And I'm like, I never got it. I don't have it. I can't get back to you. So um, please don't think that I'm ignoring your work. I mean, I think with that person, they were like, he thinks it's so bad that he doesn't want to talk about it. It's like, no, I, no. So, my belief is that I've talked about everyone's work that, that has been submitted. So please know that. And, uh, and if I haven't for some reason, it's because of something glitchy. It isn't because of your work or a lack of worthiness or anything like that. So send it back to me. Probably the culprit is my email, but let's not just blame my email. It might be, you might've sent it somewhere wrong or, or maybe it's in my junk folder. I never look at my junk folder. I mean, who can? I mean, I have a thousand junk mails a day. Uh, uh, Rashma, let's talk about uh, let's talk about your play a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, th just just in case, uh, just in case uh, there are people. I mean, I think probably most people here haven't read it, but maybe you could tell us a little bit about it. And I think it's an exciting day. Abhinav says that we've been doing this for six months, which is awesome. I think that's great. And I think you were here, you know, pretty close to the start anyway. Right. And, uh, 
and you've been reworking this play during this period of time right and uh, you've written you've written the last scene i mean this is this is really exciting yeah it is so i kind of abinav so i'm one person who has benefited a lot i started with uh uh, I started with this play in a certain mold and I had to, after getting the first feedback, I realized that I was making some wrong choices. So I rewrote the entire thing, which means I had to go back to the treatment. I had to go back to the step outline, which you have 10 steps of, and, you know, rethink the characters. And I started all over again. Uh, and of course I did a to and fro with Otis and I've also, even then, when he gave me feedback, I went back to it and corrected those things. And at times, I sent it to him three times over. So whatever long, however long this process has been, I've been able to rewrite the whole thing uh, all over again. And uh, I've finally been able to type the end at it, which does feel like, yeah, uh, something. Because I, I don't <laughs> think about it now. <laughs> like, it's all off me because I was breathing and washing my dishes and thinking of this play and thinking of the feedback. So at least I don't have to think about it again. So that is good. I think that I think I think that that's perfectly expressed. It was something. That's exactly right. I mean. You know, so when we start with writing, I mean, this has definitely been the way for me. Like, I, I mean, I think I, I went into writing because I was trying to understand things. And it seemed like people were saying to me that you understand things through writing. And what I've found by devoting myself to writing and trying to understand writing is that you can't understand things with writing. Writing is a very, words are very inadequate to express our experiences. They're right. very inadequate tools. Um, but we try and we struggle, and this is the medium that we've chosen. So we're we're just working with it, and I think uh, um, right. I, I think that that's well expressed. It's just it's something. It's revelatory. It's over. It's painful. It's you know who knows. Um, it's worth it. Yeah, it works the uh, process. You know the whole process. Just living with it was good and yeah. being able to, to get someone else's a third eye looking at usually I, I work with theater companies and we had a literary director looking at it uh, but it wasn't so intense and you don't have the luxury of going back and writing and you have strict timelines when you work with a theater company but here I had those yeah. six months to let it grow and uh, you know just take so, mm -hmm. and you've been very kind, been pointing out, you know, even the smallest of mistakes. So that really helps with that. Well, I, I don't look at them as mistakes. I look at, you know, it's an evol it's an evolutionary process. So we we would we we wouldn't want to say, you know, that that it's a mistake. It's just a, it's a necessary. These are necessary stages for us to to bring bring our work to life. And the, and the biggest effort that we're making is bringing these characters to life. And I think that that's the main, you know, the, to me, that's the huge accomplishment of this draft is that I think all of these characters are absolutely themselves and they're absolutely distinct. And when I read, when I read any section of this now, I absolutely get a sense of the entire character with each line that they say. That is what we're striving for because that, that, that reflects, I think, a truth of life. The things that we say are actions of character and they display us completely. 
And each of these characters is doing that now. I mean, there might be some shaping here and there still to be done, right. but um, it's, it means that, and, and as I said last time about your work too, I mean, the, you know, our people are miracles. And if we can just get them on the page, if we can just get them on the stage, you know, the stage is, is a, it's helpful because in the end, you're going to have actual people standing in and reading those lines. Right. But at right. this stage, we don't have that. So you have to do all the work. You know, we don't have people to convince us that they're actually a person and not just a stock cardboard character. Right. You, you, uh, you do it all with your words. Um, I have a question, apart from if you have any feedback on this, on the ending, if you have any, uh, something to say, mm -hmm. but I had another question to ask here. Uh, um, do you want to ask that now or do you, you want yeah, to? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I just thought that it actually took me 10 years to write this play. Self, so, yeah, from one draft to another. And, and it was always shortlisted whenever I sent it, but I knew it wasn't right. I've, uh, it's already published somewhere, but even then I knew it wasn't right and it needed uh, another draft, another draft. So what is it that I can do to not take it me? eight, 10 years, you know, what is the wrong, how to avoid making those wrong choices? I, uh, that's, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't have a good answer for you for that. I mean, I, I wrote an essay in 1990 that I then wrote a novel of in 2002, and that was 600 uh, pages long. And I put it aside and I wrote other things. I, I, I read it and I was like, this is not right. This is not the way I want it. Right. I, I don't want to put this out there. And so I put it away and I basically put it away. Maybe I picked it up a couple of times, but I didn't do a major revision on it until 2014. Uh -huh. so, so I had to put it away for that long. And then in 2014, I looked at it and I'm like, that's not right. And I put it away until like six months ago and I opened it up again. So it just doesn't, you know, and, I, and then I've, in the meantime, I've been writing other things and uh, um, publishing some of those other things and posting some of those other things. And it's, I, I don't have, uh, I don't have great advice in terms of that. I think if Abhinav was talking about the reviews and, uh, you know, the struggle to write one that's good, I think what happens is that we, we do struggle and early on in my in my career, you know, I struggled to write one story and then publish it. You know, I, I mean, I struggled really hard to do that. Once you achieve that level, then you obviously have all the things you learned from that to apply to the next and the next and the next. And you you do try and um, I mean, I guess for me, I try to quicken quicken the pace a little bit by creating you realize I have all these little things that I say pretty automatically about your work or anyone's work about point of view. Right. And obviously I've developed that through my teaching, but I'm really developing that though. It seems like I'm just an altruist, you know, doing this for the world. I'm also doing it for myself. Okay. I'm like, I'm, I'm driving myself with all of these things. When I say that, you know, I know I'm saying something to you that's totally annoying and, and you probably hate me for it. I say the same things to myself and I hate myself for it. Right. But I, I realize, I think that, I think that, you know, you're making me think about it. The, 
my biggest advice probably for quickening the pace is to realize that they they we have to there are two people that we have to be we have to be the person who writes and generates the raw material you know the person who shows up and takes the risk to type whatever the hell we're going to type basically to dredge up the mud, you can think of it however you want. Sometimes people are like the, the, the marble that you then chop away and find out what the story is in it, the mud that you make the pot out of, whatever it is. But that person who does that, that is not judgmental, that is just a creative person that's in their own place, that's responding to the music of the spheres, the, the muse themselves, the, the gods, whoever it is that we get divine inspiration from. There's no judgment. We have to be that person, and then we have to put on another hat and be the person who looks at what they did. Right. We have to be those two people. Separating those two people is the most, I think, the most essential thing. And then this, the person here who looks back, they are never critical. They're not critical. They understand that this is the process. And the more we do that, um, we don't, we don't want to feel critical of ourselves because then we end up feeling bad and then it takes longer. Right. <laughs> so there's, there's, no, there's no quickening the process, right. except for, but there is slowing the process. And so we don't want to slow the process at all. And that's the quickest way to do it. Did that make sense? That was a circle. No, uh, I don't know, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I, so that, but that's, that's all I can offer. I mean, I don't have great advice, but that's, you know, we have to be the person who's just free to write the material to get the to get the words on the page, so that we have something that's shown up that we can then come back to as kind of a different person who has our rules. And, and my, my biggest rule is that I will not write a stereotype. Please, I don't want to write a stereotype. I want to put real people on the page. And those people must be distinct and they do not do what I want them to do. They're not mine to play with and to, and to make my ideas. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to create ideas, my ideas. I'm trying to witness life. Right. I'm not trying to make life. <laughs> I'm not trying to, that's, that's, I think that's part of it too. I'm not trying to make life. I'm trying to witness life. Right. Um, well, I think, I think this is exciting and I can, I can see, I can see this play on the stage. And yeah. I, I think that the, I think that the work, once you get this play into the hands of actors and with the director is going to be really uh, interesting and it's going to further deepen this play. Yeah. And um, I mean, I'm, I'm jealous that you're going to be able to be there and experience that. I mean, when you start to have a dialogue with these actors, when yeah. they're thinking about these characters, that's going to be incredible for you. Yeah, they bring, um, they bring so much to the characters. I can't even, I can't even fathom, you know, what they, they can do, right. what the actor can do with the character. It's just... They just blow right. it up. It's great. It's just fantastic. Right, right, right. Because, and of course it makes sense, right? Because you're one person bifurcating yourself into, you know, six people. 
So that's one sixth of you. I mean, that's one sixth of your energy. An mm -hmm. actor takes 100% of them and puts it just into that person. Right. So of course, like, right, yeah. I love that, that, that collaboration and that understanding. Um, but I also really, you know, when this, uh, when this comes out, I, I know that I'm going to get my tickets. Okay. Yes. For yes. You can get your tickets. And so, acknowledgement, yes. My, my, I'm not worried, but I want to come and see it because I can already see it on the stage. I mean, it, it's so cool to be able to see it on the stage from your script. And that's also exactly what you want. You want, I mean, the script in the end, I've learned this over time and you, you probably know this yourself. Really, you're writing the script to inspire the director. You're writing the script to inspire the actors. I mean, that's what our words end up doing. We're not writing the totality of the work because we, as if you're a playwright, you're working with all these other people. Right. But that's also, I, I want to reduce from that a comment for everybody else is that when we're a writer, let's say we're writing a novel or a story, we're also collaborating with the reader. That's what we're doing. We're, we're trying to put words on the page that inspire right? We put the words on, on the page that inspire the imagination, right? And you've done this here, Rashma, is you, you put words on the page that inspire the director's vision. You put words on the page that inspire the actor's, um, you know, sense of humanity and their artistic drive. So this is, this is absolutely what we're doing in any of our works, we are trying to put words on the page because words don't do anything themselves. Words are empty uh, symbols, right? They don't, they don't do anything. They only do something in, in the, the person who's reading them. And that is a collaboration. Um, I think that the issue here is, so in this, in this rendition of the play, we're coming up to Baldev and so this is something that I've seen uh, a lot. And I think that you've arrived, you've arrived at an ending and now you just have to make sure you earn it, that right. you've really earned it. And it really comes, it really comes, I, I'm not sure that I would have played it the way that you did. I probably would have, the, the way I think of it is, you know, to get a character to change, we basically, you know, the story arc drives them into essentially the valley of death. Right. So they, you know, they try and fail, they try and fail, they try and fail, they try and fail, they try and fail. That's the, that's the main movement of story right. until they go to a place where they have, um, they have the most um, difficult choice, basically, you know, that they will lose everything. I mean, symbolically lose their life, right? If they continue on the same path, they lose everything or they make a choice to change. That is the, so as I, as I make the shape that goes down here into the Valley of Death, that's also the thing that, that's the climax of the story, basically. That choice between essentially um, not changing and dying as you are, or changing and dying and your previous self dying, right? Because that's what change is at this level, right? So that, that's the, 
that's the story choice is that it's actually a choice between death and death right because because the 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 idea of the phoenix right the phoenix you know we 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 like to talk about the phoenix rising from the flame but we often forget what that really means what it means is that the phoenix before the flames died right so making making the moment of that choice really clear is is okay is important i think because that's really what the whole story is leading up to the whole story this it's sort of like a like a sedimentary rock i mean the you know if we're thinking of baldev here as the person who's changing you know more and more pressure is being put on him you know and it's really a question of how does he want to go out how does he want to leave this life who does he want to be you know is he going to reject his family or or is he going to reject the society that um he functions in and it's kind of been subservient to his entire life right um so you just have to make sure that you get to that that moment in a way that is perceivable for the audience okay and they right. and and this is and this is the this is this is really the great you know all along the way right we have this thing about anticipation and surprise right anticipation and surprise but yeah. this is the big one this is the the big kahuna right because yeah. this is the climax this is the moment the moment of truth right so this is the thing that everyone is expecting to right. have happen but they don't know what's going to happen next and in a sense i think the best way to arrive at it is you know a lot of ways the way you have we do all the building process and we don't know what's going to happen next either but we have to keep the pressure on ourselves too this is the moment that we're essentially the emotional moment that we're catalyzing is right here right and then but so um <clears throat> i would probably so in this section um let's see so right here um you know like it's so with raj i'll i mean i love i love it's it's subtle you know it's probably too subtle for like a a goon like me right um i'll add points to the family metrics for simran you know i i like what's going on here very much um you know all of this even you know that's a true gentleman baldev says it might have a little tone of irony to it uh thank you raj says he's completely oblivious i'll add points to the family metric for simran uh don't bother but now he says don't bother with the points and this is a main the huge shift to me as i'm reading it right now right and i'm not sure exactly what precipitates it right so i would i would just try and think about that you know um but this is right the dialogue yes this is you've done all the work to get to this so this is the one to really make sure you pace right um and i i think it's yeah after you know i, I think it's there. yeah after landed strongly that that moment that? i said that moment has to land stronger yeah. it's not it's not landing it's, it's landing too soft right now uh, that moment with the, i guess that that would be one 
Yeah. Right. That would be one way to that would be one way to say it. Like, um, and the other the other thing is maybe it's not one way to think about it is you know I just come back to this idea of choice. I mean I've had this on my mind for such a long time, and this is something that guides me. That that there's a, there is another kind of story which I which I call a metamorphosis story, which I'm just taking from the Kafka right metamorphosis. It's basically it starts here, and the character just goes boom like that. There are a lot of stories like that, and I don't like I I I don't think that that's what we're supposed to do. I think what we're supposed to do as storytellers is we give our character a chance, right? We can't make life better. We don't make life better. We don't make it so, you know, but we give them a chance, right? And that's that choice. And so when we're thinking of a choice, we do need to think about it's between two things, right? So those two things have to be on the page. Right. Right. And in a sense, you could say that you could say, well, the reason that this is soft, right? I'm, I mean, I'm just being a mathematician, I guess, right? I'm just doing the math on it, the equation. There's, there isn't two things on the page because he doesn't really have a choice here. Mm. Right? It's not a true choice because he's basically, as, as we like to say in the writing world, he's SOL, right? Shit out of luck. Okay. So okay. shit out of luck is not a choice. Okay. So we got to see what his choice is. And um, yeah, it's a really subtle point. Maybe we'll talk, maybe we can talk about it some more too. Uh, it's, a, it's a really subtle point. I mean, I, I think it gets to something deeply important for us to look at as writers, because most of the time, I'm going to just talk about human beings as opposed to writers, but most of the time, the majority of the time, human beings don't look at the things that they do as choices. And we, what we do in a story is we look um, at the most difficult thing as a choice. And that's what we mean. So I'm not, I'm not meaning it in a figurative sense. I mean life and death because it's life and death. You either you make the choice to continue doing what you're doing and you die, right? Or you choose to change and the old you is gone, right? You're the, you're, you've risen from the flames. The, the old you is also dead. It is a choice. It's a choice between death and death. It's not an easy choice. But those two things have to be on the page. Right. And then we see what the character does. Right. Um, and, and, and for me, you know, like the way, I, the way I separate sort of tragedy and comedy, basically, those two, you know, the positive form and the negative form, we could say. The negative form is that they make the wrong choice. Right. The positive form is that they make the correct choice. But whether they make the wrong choice or the right choice, the reader basically sees and understands the choice. And they either, if they make the positive choice, they make, the reader makes the choice with them. I feel this is my, my, my take on the psychology. But if the, if the character makes the wrong choice, the reader, in a sense, separates from the character who they've been with all along, who they've been rooting for, and they make the right choice. And that's 
That's what the reader takes away as a life lesson in a sense. They get to experience this incredible hardship and basically through the verisimilitude of the story form, they get to um, experiment with the choices that they might make if they were in a similar situation. That, that may or may not work out, <laughs> but, um, but that's the way I look at it. Um, Right. I have to do some thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> Again. Yeah. You know, the, the, the play that I, I, I'm, I'm actually working with it because some of the themes are important to the novel I'm working on is Hamlet um, because of the, the situation of seams. But, but thinking about Hamlet, the ending of Hamlet is a very interesting one because he's trying to make the choice about what to do about the king but he gets wounded by Laertes and he's already moved into the valley of death, right? He's in the valley of death when he decides to avenge his father against the king. An extremely interesting situation for me to think about. Right. So he doesn't, I mean, in a sense, he only, he's only able to actualize in death itself. That's, a fascinating moment but but this is what we're trying to get to we're trying to get to that catalyst that catalyzing moment of death either death as you are right that's it's also like the the uh the poem do not go gently into that good night mm -hmm. that's a little bit like death as you are right do not go gently into that good night or rise as a phoenix from the flame you're transformed, but also you're transformed, right? It's not you anymore. Right. right. The, the truism, one of the truisms that, that I've heard and that I've, I've repeated is that the, you know one thing about your character, whatever character it is, your character does not want to change. Right. That might be insight about everybody <laughs> on earth. The one thing we don't want to do is change. Right. Um, yeah, uh, great work. I better move on to uh, uh, the so much, others. Yeah. But, um, I love these characters. I can totally see them. I love this. I, I, do, I do love Baldev here. Um, but I, but I don't, I don't feel as acutely as necessary this, this moment and this choice. So, right. um, and this is the time, this is what we put all our effort in. We've written the whole story in order to arrive yeah. at this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It has to be stronger. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, okay. Um, so, uh, Sorella, let's, um, let's look at your, um, Hello. I saw you here. Yes, yes. Hi. Hi, hello. You've written a review. Okay, so uh, Bhagavad Gita. Bhagavad. I got to, I, I was thinking to myself, I need to practice pronunciation in my pronunciation of the Bhagavad Gita. The yes, D to the right G. The, the Bhagavad Gita, I mean, the author itself has given us a, a way to tell it because it, it is not Bhagavad Gita as, as an author has written. It is connected in the introduction saying Bhagavad Gita or Bhagavad Gita together, actually. 
so oh. i have written it twice in a different way in the article also i have to like make it uniform okay uh, so yeah let's let's dig into this i want to say first of all that i am um i'm very intrigued by this book so like i like i read your review and it made me feel like i want to read this um Thanks. for me the for me i and and you know some of some of the points that get made here um you know this opening this quote there there can be a danger to opening with such a long quote um okay. but but i did appreciate being able to see some of what's being written i think for me the 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 core of the review is that um i'm not sure from reading this what the central issue is what the central argument is for the book so what is the basically what is the thesis of the book and i'm going to guess i'm going to go ahead and guess what the thesis is okay. based on based on the title based on the title this is and you touch upon it just sometimes in here it's about basically the bhagavad gita being relevant for modern people yes. it's not really yes. about millennials the millennials is just a way to say that it's 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 relevant in the modern world right it's right. he's trying to make it relevant in the modern world because of the ancient text so he's trying to make it relevant for the modern modern readers uh, throughout the book so i as you mentioned that the conflict uh, of you know antagonist and protagonist i could not i tried very hard to find through the book you know, and underline almost all sentences to find that conflict but there was no, I, i could not find the central conflict unfortunately because there's so many chapters dealing with so many topics and aspects of the gita well okay so i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to help you i think <clears throat> so so i don't think i don't think he's I don't think he's 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 not working to make it relevant. He's basically trying to shape the perception of the work to say that it is relevant. Okay, so if his thesis is if his thesis is it is relevant, then that means that the contrary point of view is it is not relevant. So a thesis basically works like this. So this is this is for everyone who's working with thesis. My breakdown of a thesis because I'm a very reductive thinker to try and help myself through these difficult issues is that it basically is you think this that's a you think whatever it is. And in this case it would be you think the Bhagavad Gita is not relevant. Mm -hmm. You are wrong. It is relevant. that's the argument okay that's the central thesis i would imagine of this book and i would and i think that you will find it somewhere early on that the author i i would very much ex expect but i have not read it it is possible to print a book and to fail to get to the central thesis of it but the title itself does suggest it to me it's basically saying uh, millennials do not you millennial yeah uh, dude uh i'm not sure are you sharing uh, uh, anything on your screen or not yet I, yeah isn't it you don't see uh sorellas i no, don't no, i'm I not don't. sure if others do no, i don't either did i did i share the last one no we cannot see anything uh, no 
Oh, I'm so sorry. I thought I did that already. I was looking at it. Okay, so that means that I actually, Rashma, we were looking at your work too. <laughs> sorry, yeah, at least I was. Um, right. uh, I apologize. Uh, thank you, Abhinav. Okay, so, so Sorella, the, um, so the title is kind of informing me and probably somewhere in the book early on, this is the central thing that basically he's saying, he's making the argument. You think you pointing to millennials, but basically pointing to all modern readers or like all modern people. You think that this ancient text is not relevant in the modern world. I'm arguing that it is. And now once we have that as the thesis, most likely he's going to say, I'm arguing that it is. And then he's going to say, then, then the, the clever argument, a well-formed argument is, um, you think that it doesn't respond to your modern life. It does. You think it doesn't do this. It does. You think it doesn't do this. It does. You think it doesn't have a place in your life now. It does. It basically, once you create that central argument, then, then you basically have the steps to achieve your argument, where you're basically presenting one side, then the other, one side, and then the other. And ideally, you're not doing that just on, a, you're not just presenting one side, because if you're only presenting your side of the argument, then that's not a thesis, it's a polemic. Polemics are, a polemic is just an argument. I'm just going to tell you what I think. Okay. That, if it is a polemic, I, as a reviewer, I would say so. I don't know whether it is or not. I feel that it, it is not, probably. And you can usually find the argument somewhere in there. But this is the thing that, that needs to probably come out to the forefront. Because this is, if his central argument is that um, the Gita is relevant for modern audiences and again i'm saying that's he's using millennial to mean that it's it's this ancient text is relevant in the modern world i'm going to tell you how once we know that then we say okay there's that's the that's the forest right now we're going to look at these trees that make that argument okay. and we don't have to do it thoroughly because the book is going to do it thoroughly but we want to, we want to present the, 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 I'll call it the essential argument of the book. Right. What happens a little bit in this review is that you are, you're writing about different things. I think things that interested you personally, you know, sometimes it was this or it was that, uh, you know, things that you took away from the book, but it wasn't. Um, it wasn't focused on the argument of the book. It wasn't focused on the thesis of the book all the time, which is basically what we want to do. So like, it's like, you know, there's a saying like you're, <clears throat> you're missing the forest for the trees. We say like, like you're, you're missing the big picture by concentrating on a couple of the trees that you saw that basically stood out to you. And then you wrote about those. And so I missed the big argument, but you get so, you get to sorry, it here. Uh, yeah, can I ask uh, your question here? That uh, can I state the reinterpretation of the Gita 
no, no, and not a translation because he emphasizes that it's not a translation, uh, but it's, it's or a substitute for Gita, but it's a trans, it, it's a reinterpretation of it for the modern readers. I just can write that line somewhere in the beginning. Um, well, I mean, I think I'm trying to, I, I think I'm, I, I think that this book is, well, so I'm not sure that it's just an interpretation. I, I think that it's arguing that it is relevant. So like there, there's a difference between saying, oh, this is a modern interpretation. I mean, maybe it is, I don't know because I haven't read the book. If it's simply a modern interpretation of the Gita, then you, then you could just say, this is a modern interpretation of the Gita. And it's a, you could even say it's a modern interpretation of the Gita that, that suggests that the Gita is still relevant in the modern world. I mean, that, that would be an argument that's even being made from producing a modern interpretation. Or it's a book that's arguing that the Gita is relevant. And in arguing that, it also interprets it. So the, they are different things. And I don't know which it is because I have not read the book. But I know that Abhinav is going to be kind enough to send me a copy um, because maybe this was one of the ones that was sent out for reviews. So he knows that I would love to be able to read it. <laughs> uh, it Absolutely, honestly, it yes. Sounds yeah, it sounds fascinating to me. I mean, I... I I really, I love this kind of argument. Um, and some of the things that you touch upon that I think are coming out of, they're coming out of the Gita themselves. I'm like, I love that. And it, and it, and it goes along with what is kind of a, it's kind of a stereotype of course, but like each new generation basically shuns the knowledge of the older generation, right? So this is, working within that larger motif that has existed, you know, in the world. Um, and uh, anyway, so I want to, I want to go to, so I make a lot of specific notes here. Um, I mean, okay, so you have things here, the karma yoga, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to out the fact that I'm, I'm now, I'm planning to write my own book. That's going to be the yoga of writing because yoga and writing and the sense of sort of opposition has been a very has been so and and even on its physical level i mean i think everything rises out of the physical level but i think it's very applicable in writing itself and i want to try and write a, a writing book that keeps that as its focus um and and i've even started doing yoga again in order to do my research but this i think is in, this was so incredible to me because this very much informs the way I think about um, writing. You, you have the right to action alone, not the fruit. <laughs> you know, that is like, that nails what, you know, for me, what I've been thinking about writing for many, many years. This is, this is what I mean in a sense, like we don't, when I said to Rashma, we don't get, we don't get to make meanings. We don't get to make the world. We get to witness the world. We get to act within the world. We, you know, this is what we're doing. This is so the I most this, famous I quote, actually, from Gita. This is the most famous quote and often repeated quote from Gita. 
and people and he is trying to say that this is the, this quote people think that this is the gita only but uh, not, it is not like that it is more than what it what it appears to be actually so i uh, yeah, for the yeah, first, I for the first time i have you know made a lot of mistakes in interpretation maybe and uh, you know that's why you know i wanted to really you know know because it's very heavy text if you see Right, right. Well, I, I, I love that, but it, it is, yeah, so when I read that, I'm like, wow, I'm really interested in that, but that's you and me both basically responding again to the trees, but what we really want to be reviewing, we want to review the forest of the book. We want to review the forest. We want to talk about the, the essential largest argument and how he actually gets there with that argument, because that's, he's, I think the largest argument is, as you say, where where do we have it? I just marked that because I thought it was great. I, I it's a famous quote, but look at that, remarkable. I I don't even know it, so I'm obviously out of the loop. Um, I'm looking for the thing about relevance. Um, I see, the, I see the relatability. I like this. I like this idea. Well, he's also made, he's saying he, it seems like one of the things he's saying, he's saying it's relevant because the the work continually evolves. And that's I think that that's really that's really a great statement. I mean, we we've talked about that a little bit here in terms of the ancient ancient texts and the storytelling form and that there is always an evolutionary principle to it because going back to what we were talking about earlier, the, whatever we write, whatever has been written and the stories we tell are always a collaboration with our audience. And so that means it must be evolving. I tell the story to this audience, you know, in, in you know, some, in 5,000 years ago, it, it sounds like this. I tell the same story to this audience in the modern day. It sounds like this. It has evolved because the world evolves. So I think that that's a central point. Um, I should have put that in the beginning. <clears throat> should I put this in the beginning? I, would you suggest the last line? The... The last night should have put it uh, in the beginning. I, Cyril, no, sorry, Cyril, I was just thinking about something because I have I have this, you know, I have okay. this idea of this this okay. this this, uh, this book, right? And I told you I was doing my research by going to yoga actually again, because I'll tell you, right. I am not this is not not something I'm good at. So it's very painful for me to have to go through this process of showing up to yoga. But one thing that the yoga instructor says a lot is is he he, this one yoga instructor, he says, no forcing, right? When we're doing something, he says, don't force it. And I was just reminded of that when you're saying, put that up front, don't force it. I'm, I'm not going to say force anything. Do not, it's not a question of you just following my directions. It's a question of you listening in a sense to what I'm saying about finding the central argument, seeing the forest, and then seeing the trees, the, the groups of trees, the groups of arguments that make up that central point and, and trying to write about those things. It's not a question of, you know, like if my yoga instructor said, you know, I'm there, I can barely lift my arms over my shoulder at this point. And he said, well, you take your hand and put it, you know, put it on the center of your spine. Um, 
you know, and then he came over and grabbed my hand and did it, that would not help me. Okay, so I'm trying to encourage you to, to <clears throat> move away a little bit from just the things that interest you to trying to see what the author is intending with the entire work and seeing how he gets there. One of the, one of the big places to find that in any book is the table of contents. The table, but the introduction will almost certainly have the thesis statement stated. So you should, you should read that carefully and really try to understand it. You know, so it's not a question of reading. When we read a book, if we're doing a review, we're not just trying, we don't, we don't want to just read it for, to write our review, right? We don't want to just read it in order to have the outcome of the review. We want to read it by being really present for that reading. We want to really understand what the intention and the experience that the author is trying to create. And then when we write the review, we basically try and assess where they succeeded and failed in creating the experience that they intended to create. Um, so I'm just, I, I, I guess I'm trying to encourage you, you know, it's not, a, it's not a question of just following my, my directions. It's a question of, um, and so I'm saying no forcing, no forcing, look at, look yeah. at the book, take out of it. I don't know because I haven't read the book and I, I'm also not writing the review. Um, read it and see what is the central argument. I'm going to guess it's going to be about this idea of relevance. I'm going to I'm going to bet that one of the things that's crucial to understanding how the author develops this argument is this idea that texts evolve. So that is obviously a crucial point in it and there's going to be a couple of others. Um, I think that uh, the issue I think you you have highlighted this quote. I think that that's also probably crucial too because it sounds to me like the author is emphasizing this quote because he's saying, you know, we, we don't have control of the outcomes, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be acting. We need to be involved. Like he's, he's making this point that, um, that we can't stand outside of the struggle, essentially, that, that he's trying to invite millennials into the struggle of action I can see that that's probably part of his point, and it might even be one of the largest parts of his point to basically say, we have to take our traditions and continue to move them forward. They're relevant, and the lessons of the past are relevant today, and we need to take them into the future. I bet he's probably leaning in that direction. Right. And yes, he, uh, he's also emphasizing on why uh, it is more than karma yoga, as many people think. Uh, uh, as in more than action, just action, and uh, I wanted to emphasize that because with being an awful repeated quote, I wanted to emphasize that it is more than what it, it, it appears to be. So, yes, uh, mm -hmm. uh, I tried to put that. So, I will. I'll tell you. I'll tell you how. You know. So, not that, I'm, that I don't do everything right by any means, but like when I used to sit in the workshops, right, and I used to hand in my stories, and I would have ten people go around the room and just trash me. You know, and they'd be like, "This is wrong," la 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 la, and they would write pages of notes and they would scribble like I did on your page, right? They I, they would do all of that stuff, 
And uh, I, I'd be like, okay, okay. I sat through it, right? Afterwards, I would stack up all the pages. I would take them and I'd throw them in the trash can because I don't need those. I need to be able to take things in and then write my own work. We're not, I'm just trying to say, we don't write by committee. We don't write, no one else can make our hands type. We have to just, I would really like to see you come back to this review because I, I can tell that it's so important to you. And, and, uh, and I would like to see it again, you know? And, and just think, think again to yourself that you're gonna be reductive. It's not about your, your personal experience because you're a very knowledgeable person. You know the Gita already. And you know the traditions. No, but think no. About I, it. I just read this one. I know. I already read Gita. I just read this book actually. Oh, okay. Oh, well, well, now you're going to start. You're the millennial that they're talking about. So you're the you're the audience for this. So that's great. So, but think of me also as that person who's outside of the tradition. You know, who's maybe rejecting this as being relevant to my life. And then make make someone like me the audience, like you're the audience. And uh, just, I would love to see this review again. And then I'm also yes. going to look forward to reading the book after Amanov sends it. Definitely. Thank you so much. Um, it's great work. I can see that you're really you're really involved with the work, and that's also why you're getting involved in these trees. And now I'm asking you to come out as the reviewer and the writer to be a little bit more distant from it and say, Ah, I see. This is the intention. You obviously had an intense experience with the book. Now you have to rise out a little bit and be the writer. Sure. Um, um, Madhavi, um, let's talk about your work a little bit. Hi, Otis. Hi, how are you? I'm fine, how are you? Um, so how, how are you feeling in this work right now? I can relate to what Rashma said. I've been with these characters for almost uh, for 10 months now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've written about uh, 50,000 plus words on them. And uh, ever since I started uh, with this uh, workshop, um, I've been going back to what I've written earlier. And believe it or not, this is my second or third version that I'm sending you. So I try to work on them. And uh, uh, I would say half of the words that I've written are, I find them to be writer's point of view. So I try to change that and send it to you. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I'm, I'm gonna tell you it is hard work. So, you know, I, the, the, the piece I wrote that actually, because I, you know, I, I went to Stanford, I had a fellowship there, but the piece I wrote that got me in there uh, was 15 pages long and it took me a year and a half to write it. So, I mean, I can't even tell you how many pages I wrote. I mean, I, I mean, I've wrote. I mean, I'm telling you that I've I wrote 50,000 odd words, but I'm nowhere near completion. I've just given them their first jolt. So I'm yeah, yeah. one third into the story. I don't know how many exactly. more words are going to come out. Uh, we gotta say, we gotta say, yeah. you know, we till the time right, I'm we, able to write the end. Yeah, we pull up, we pull up the, we pull up the, this mud, and then we start to shape it and do things with it, and yeah. it's just very different. Well, I definitely have the sense 
like I see you enjoying these characters existing. Yeah. They're not they're not you. They are characters themselves. I feel this guy here talking to this woman. They're doing these he's doing these crazy things. I love it. He's fixing her window. Um he's like he's showing his heart to her, but she doesn't see it. You know, it's it, it's just it's wonderful to see them interact. Um it now that we have characters like this, what we do is we kind of deepen them a little bit and we see the way people are a little bit more uh, complexly. So my comment about this work is that they basically have a dialogue. There's, this is, this is, we're getting, we're up at this level. Okay. So we're, we're releasing that we're, we're away from the level of like, you're just trying to write what you think is right. And then, you know, you're just doing it all. And they're just, and the characters are serving you. We definitely have characters on the page. Yeah. Now we want to try and deepen them and see them even more so. And one of the ways we do that is we think about what people say. <laughs> so the way I look at it, it's a little bit complex, but we're, we're going to, kind of get involved in what dialogue is. So there's two things that sort of guide me with dialogue. One is David Mamet, I've quoted before. Characters do not always say what they mean, but they always say something to get them what they want. Yeah. So what that means is that we're not as direct as we think we are. We might not know that. <laughs> ourselves like we might not know but i'm saying if we can like we'll just forget about us for a second okay let's not apply this to us let's please not apply it to other people we have relationships with because that's not going to work out either but let's just think about it in, in in regard to character what it comes down to is that characters this is what i think characters are always doing something to get them what they want. They're trying to make the world the way they want it. Um, and dialogue, like any other action, like, like your character um, repairing the window, what we say is also an action. So it's not like, it's not like we're doing stuff that's representing us. It's like, oh, I work hard, I'm banging, you know, and then I say this, and this is just somehow elevated truth that I'm just speaking. It's still an action to make the world what I want and to get what I want from that world, which means that there's a subtext. There's something that's not on the page. I say something, but also there's a feeling that I'm trying to get what I want from that. Does that make sense? That's a subtext. Yeah. Um, it's sort of like when I, when I walk into the house, okay? So I do, I do a lot of the cooking. I do a lot of the cleaning. I, do, I, 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 just, I want to just be a writer. I just want to you know, live in my fantasy worlds all the time. I'll go in and I'll say to Zandi, I'll be like, Hey Zan, do you like you like all those dishes in the sink? Does that make you feel good? You know, I'll say that, right? 
I'm not, I'm trying to get her to do the dishes, right? I'm trying to get her to do something else so I don't have to do it so I can go and write. Does that make sense? I'm saying something to get what I want. So I want these characters to do a little bit more of that. Right now they're, they're um, in, in writing, usually the movies, they talk about being on the nose. So I sometimes just put that as O-T-N. On the nose means they're saying exactly what they think. They're saying exactly what's true. They're saying exactly who they are. And um, in dialogue, that doesn't work because the dialogue ends up being one dimensional. And dialogue is not as rich as description and concrete nouns, it's just sound. So we want it to be more complex. This is a very high level of discussion that's possible because you have characters on the page. So we have characters on the page. The first thing to do, first we write us, right? We just put the morass, it's just us, us, us. Then we rise up from that and we actually have characters. And now we look at those characters that are here and we say, now we have to make them real human beings. And that's up here. So, Otis, so that's a, the next thing. A, a question here. So <clears throat> I, I get your point that, yeah. you know, characters don't always say what they mean, but they say what they have to, you know, to, as you said, to quote David Mamet. Uh, in that sense, so a character may not say what they mean either because they have uh, an intent to deceive, for example, or they may be afraid of hurting someone's feelings or for whatever reasons, right? There could be many any number of reasons how uh, and different people will say different things at different points uh, during the course of a book during the course of their lives how do you then balance it with the need to not have the reader form an opinion of the character that may be contrary to what uh, i may want to present because i may be pursuing that line of writing for one reason but the reader may say that okay, this is a confused person, or what a scheming little devil uh, this uh, you know, person is. Mm -hmm. So is, is well, how, how do you resolve that conflict? Well, so, so we're going to the reductive, we're going down to the very reductive motivation. So whether, so the issue of whether someone's intentionally trying to deceive, I wouldn't, I'm going to say that mostly people are not. Right. But if they are intentionally trying to deceive, they're still intentionally trying to deceive, which is something that we should, that the reader should be aware that they're intentionally trying to deceive. We should let the reader in on that. But they're still doing that in order to get what they want. So getting what, they, what, getting what the character wants is a subconscious drive. And all of our actions are in service of the subconscious drive. That's called motivation right? That's mm. the motivation of the character. Sometimes okay. we think of motivation of the character as being tangible, but even then, so like, sometimes we think of motivation of character being tangible, but it always has also a subconscious drive to it as well. Like my example of that is the, you know, the famous story of Bonnie and Clyde. Let's say Bonnie, you know, or any, any, we can have anyone who's trying to get money, okay? But Bonnie basically robs banks. Correct. So 
in a sense, we can see her robbing banks because tangibly, and that what she believes is that she wants money. So that's a motivation. But actually, subconsciously, we see in the story that what she really wants is respect. Right? So, but she doesn't know that she wants respect. She knows that she wants money. So in the same way, Abhinav, and it's a little bit complex, your character who says something to deceive, right? Thinks that they want the outcome of that deception. But what do they really want? What's driving them that's subconscious below that? A feeling of control, a way to escape their own vulnerability? I'm, who knows? But there's something human. The, there's, a, there's a human motivation below that is consistent for all of us. We all have a human motivation to get what we want. Um, and then right. we have different ways in which we try to do it. These characters here are not deceptive characters. So they're not saying things to get what they want in a conscious way, but they're still doing it. Just like when I walk in, I'm not trying to manipulate Zandi you know, my partner, I would never do that. That would make me a horrible person. And I don't want to be a horrible person. I'm not trying to manipulate. But I walk in, I'm like, geez, there's a lot of dishes, right? Why am I saying that? Right? Why do I say it out loud? That's an action to get what I want. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I am a jerk, you know, from an objective standpoint. But I'm not trying to be one. <laughs> correct, correct. Yeah, I mean, so, it's it's like uh, you know, no, no, no person who's bad, a criminal, a thief, or whatever, you know, goes around with this monologue in his head or says dialogue like, "I'm a bad person. I'm a bad person." I mean, no one says that. Pretty much, no, they don't. They don't. Would be good if they did, they, but um, anyway. Maybe I should remove myself from society because I seem to be <laughs> antisocial. Exactly. Um, I wouldn't be here today if, that, if, if people did that very easily. Um, yeah, so we're, we're just, so this issue, it's, it's worth really thinking about for all of us as writers, okay? And I'm going to tell you something from my teaching. And it has taken me a long time. Okay, this did not come to me easily. I was all, I was writing probably, I, remember I told you I wrote that story when I was in high school? Well, I probably wrote from that time until definitely at least some point in my graduate career, right? Characters, protagonists who didn't want anything. Because I thought, when I thought of myself and I thought of other people, I thought I didn't really want anything. I was just, you know, going around doing, I, I don't really want stuff. And I, and I sort of learned that I didn't want stuff because if I wanted stuff, then my, it seemed that the response was, you're not going to get it. And da, 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 da. So I stopped thinking that way. I need time. No. Yeah. What's that? I, I don't know. Maybe. Um, <laughs> that was Zandi trying to get what she wants by saying something to me, which 
she was telling me I could do yoga in a couple minutes. So it was very nice. She wants me to take care of myself so that I can do more dishes, no doubt. Um, anyway, but, but this issue of thinking about what characters want, it is something that I've found that we as writers resist because we also resist acknowledging in ourselves that we want things and that we do things to get them. We don't like to think that way. We like to think, oh no, I'm so, I'm so, because we think that what being good is, is to not want anything. And that's, I don't believe that that's true. So I have experienced a lot of writers and in myself that we do not write characters who are motivated, but I'm going to say that it's extremely important to motivate your characters. And the more tangibly you motivate them, so like to motivate them with something tangible like Bonnie who wants money, right? That's extremely good because there's something very tangible that the reader can see that they either get it or they don't, which is the driving force of a story. But I will say that always, no matter what they want tangibly, they also want something else subconsciously. They want a drive. So the tangible is very specific, right? Bonnie wants money, very specific thing. But the, um, but the, the human universal drive is actually universal. It, it is universal and it's nonspecific. It's human. Does that make sense at all? So when we think of these two characters, Madhavi, that you have here, we want to think of both of them. And this is getting to the deepest part of how we write dialogue. We have to think about what they want, and then we have to think about what they say. Right? Because they're saying something to get what they want. And if we don't have that motivation clear, then we do not know why they're saying stuff. Then they're just saying it. And no one, according to me anyway, is just saying something. That is, that is basically going, you have characters on a page and that is taking those characters and putting them through the roof into like the realm of real human beings. Um, and once we have those real human beings, as I've said to Rashma many times and to all of you, people are miracles. This is what we work with in stories. This is what we want to work with, real human beings. And when we have that, we get everything else we want. That's it. That's a, that's a wrap. But um, Madhavi, I'll just say that's a striving. That's a stri we strive to do that. I strive to do that. I mean, I still strive to do that. I've made that my 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 driving thing you know my driving force with characters that is going back to rashma she said how do i make it quicker this little thing that we just talked about this is the thing the kernel we take and we put in the beginning and we try to do it we don't do it we don't accomplish it we try to accomplish it it is not easy but it is, it is the deepest, most profound work we do. And when we do it, we also get the most back from it. So thank you, Otis. Thank you, everyone. And as I said at the beginning, uh, you know, based on the advice feedback you get, it would be great if you could uh, put that into 
revising your piece and pieces and send them back. So, you know, we, because not only just, uh, you know, for yourself, but when we get to see what a piece was and what it is now that, you know, after it's been improved, uh, after the feedback that you get and all, it, I think uh, watching the journey in itself helps us, uh, uh, you know, understand aspects of writing that, uh, that benefit all of us. So please do keep those pieces coming in and we will uh, see you next week. Thank you, Otis. Thank you, everyone. Have a good day. Bye. Bye.